technology's working. I'm going for it. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Never Seen, our monthly podcast where we're filling in those gaps in our film listography, history, I don't know, one of those things where we're missing some epic films that we're now filling in. That sounds like an innuendo and I didn't mean it to. (laughs) (laughs) So now that I've made my uh, compadre's co-host good buddies of mine laugh, let me introduce you to Stacey. Bonjour. And to Lee. Hello. And Lee, you are going to introduce our film for this episode, which is... Uh, Rear Window, which is a 1954 suspense thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly, featuring Thelma Ritter, Wendell Corey and Raymond Burr. Uh, Stewart plays a photographer confined to a wheelchair in his apartment due to a broken leg. In his boredom, he is taken to staring out his window Um and observing the the, the neighbours coming and goings in the in the courtyard at the back of his apartment. Um, gradually, he becomes convinced that one of his neighbours has murdered his wife and disposed of her in a grisly manner. Uh, the screenplay is by John Michael Hayes, uh, based on a story by Cornell Waldrich called It Had to Be Murder which itself was based on a short story called Through the Window by H.G. Wells. Um, My first experience of Rear Window was it's one of the few films that my mum has introduced me to. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of films with my dad. You know, we used to watch a lot of war films and and that sort of thing. Um, But very rarely my mom would go, oh, this is a good film. You need to watch this one. And I think there's maybe like two, only about two or three. And Rear Window was one and It's a Wonderful Life was another. So she had very good taste. Um, (laughs) And Rear Window was probably, I think, my first Hitchcock movie. I don't think okay. I saw Psycho too much later because I would have been quite young when we watched this. And it was and it was love at first sight. I just was completely struck with it and fell in love with it and I was completely gripped by it. Um, so and it's become one of my all time, you know, top 10 favorite movies ever since. And I've seen it. I must have seen it 20, 30 times. So uh, given what the premise of this podcast i assume one of you two at least hasn't seen it so what are your histories well stacy you go first okay well yeah i've never seen uh rear window and um i, I cannot honestly tell you why <laughs> um my sort of knowledge of this film comes mostly from other pop culture references to yeah. it yeah. Um, the big one being the episode of The Simpsons where Bart breaks <laughs> his leg and then thinks that Ned Flanders has murdered his, done a murder on his missus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether it was one of those things where I was just like, well, I don't need to see this film now because I'm, I already know I already know everything there is to know about it because I've seen it referenced like a thousand times in a thousand other things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll just watch it and be like, oh, yes, a man has witnessed a thing out of his window. Um, 
so I think I think that was the reason why I'd sort of always put it off but when we sort of floated the idea of this podcast um I showed my husband the list of films that that we've sort of collated together that some you know one or more of us hasn't seen and uh, he saw Rear Window on the list and he was like why the fuck haven't you seen this you stupid cow <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> Such maybe, love. Uh, maybe I should maybe I should maybe I should watch this then uh, so I was quite glad that you picked it for the first episode, Lee, so oh. I can get that one out of the way and uh, Rich can love me again. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is one of those quick, it is the, one of the ultimate kind of never seen movies, mm. really. Um, but it's also one that tends to slip through people's nets quite a lot. So like, yeah. everybody knows Psycho and everybody's kind of seen Psycho. Yeah. And then I, I, I think... You know, um, Rewind is probably the quintessential Hitchcock, even more than Psycho is. And then mm. there's a lot more of his tropes and ingredients in, in Rear Window than in than in Psycho. But it's also one that's, um, you know, if you mention Rear Window, you'll get a lot of reaction, but you'll get a lot of people who who, ha- who haven't seen it and, and haven't heard of it, though, but they will know the plot. Yeah. Well, you say that. So, OK, yeah, so... so your turn. Um, I'm, I think I'm a, again, I'm a lot like Stace with this one. I think I've, I've never seen it. Um, I feel I had a roundabout idea of what the story was because of pop culture referencing. Mm. In fact, I just saw it in something. But the stupid part is I can't remember what I was watching that referenced it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think there's a lot of stuff that, that does reference um Hitchcock especially um I mean big old bold statements there you know that this is more more tropey than psycho maybe it is I mean I think I might I think we're going to watch another Hitchcock at some point I've seen psycho don't freak out I've seen psycho <laughs> me yeah. too don't worry yeah well I mean, that's, yeah if, if neither of you had seen psycho then that would have been the end of the friendship yeah <laughs> I've even seen the terrible Anne Hesch colour shot for shot remake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was pointless. Yeah. Um, and I can't ever get, like the lighthouse, can never get that time back again. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think, as like Stace was saying, it's one of those films that um, it's been referenced a lot. I've never sat down and watched it. But there are an awful lot of Hitchcock that I haven't seen. Mm. But I've seen referenced in other places. And it's, you know, and it's always little things that are referenced too. Um, so it was an interesting watch. I'm, unlike today, so I'm really glad we watched it as our first movie and got it out well, of the way. Yeah, I'm, I was kind of trepidatious about it because because it's one that's I was I was worried about how well it would come across, given that it's one of those films you tend to have seen without seeing it because yeah. it's referenced so much. Um, the Exorcist is another one where you, you 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 know when you watch The Exorcist you feel like you've already seen it because it's been referenced so much and parodied so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and you and you sort of think, well, fortunately, this is a bit. There's a lot of comedy in this, so it's not like you're going to be stone faced throughout and just go, well, I've seen all the parodies, I've seen The Simpsons, I've seen what was that Charlie Sheen Emilio Estevez film where the the garbage men that has a big rear window gag in there and there's all this and that and the other and there's like a million movies that have played i mean i I was i was saying this to somebody a friend earlier on saying that it's been remade 
I mean, it's been literally remade with Christopher Reeve in the 90s, and but it's been it's been homaged and, and pseudo remade just over and over and over again. And the, even now, particularly now, there seems to be a little cottage industry of like suspense novels like the, the Girl on the Train and The Woman in the Window and all this kind of that literally just seems to be a little subgenre of, of rear window. Yeah, because there was that. Um... I guess it was like a, a kind of a dark comedy satirical show that um, was it Kristen Bell did. Yeah, Kristen on Bell. Yeah, the, the girl in the window across the across street. The street. <laughs> epically, yeah, really epically long convoluted title that I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that again had tropes of this in it, um, mm. which was I did watch all of it and I I did enjoy some of that series, but also thought as a oh, it was tiring. <laughs> I I I know, and we we kind of drifted off, but yeah, with that one, I watched the first episode and just went, I can't tell whether this is, is this supposed to be a comedy or not because it's the, yeah. the the title is clearly very um spoofy. taking the piss, yeah, it's it's proper, yeah, it's a proper spoofy title, and then you watch, I watched the first episode, and I'm going, are there supposed to be jokes in this? There was like one joke at the start, and I think there was one joke at the end. And then between there, I'm going, am I supposed to be laughing at any point during it? So, uh, so yeah, I kind of, I did intend to carry on with it and then just thought, well, life's too short. I'd rather be watching something. Else. <laughs> but, um, Absolutely fair. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and that kind of was annoyed me because I do like Kristen Bell. Or is it Kirsten Bell? I can never remember which. which I think it's Kristen. Is. I think it's Kristen. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. Rear window. So you, yeah. you, you finally... Um, we've finally it. seen it mm-hmm. and <laughs> and yeah. this is what where you, the friendship is on an edge <laughs> no, um, bear in mind <laughs> it's your favourite ever movie now, uh, uh, yeah our, our friendship kind of pivots on hands this in the balance I really liked it, it I, I loved it I found it and I also found it um, an easy watch mm. but that's not to say I was watching it and scrolling through my phone at the same time because I wasn't I was actually watching it and making pseudo shallow notes at the same time as it, watching it. It, it was funny because like I've seen oh, cause I've seen it a lot. Now, there was a period where it became my comfort movie and I would because I tend to suffer with insomnia a lot. Mm. And I tend to put um, one of the solutions I have to insomnia is to distract my brain by putting on a movie that I know so I can just drift off to this movie, but trick my brain to thinking i want to stay up and watch this film mm. and rewido became that for me for a while so i was watching it every night and watching like about the first 10 minutes and then drifting off um so i'd seen it an awful lot uh and when i came to sit i've watched it again today by the way because when i watched it <laughs> i can't remember if it was yesterday or the night before yesterday yeah, it was last night i think yeah yes. um and i can i got sucked into it straight away even though i'd seen it 20 30 times and i forgot to take any notes <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I, I got rear window 1954 at the top of my page and then and then next thing i know is the, the the end credits are going and i'm going oh i've done no notes so i'm going to have to do that again tomorrow <laughs> so i ended up having to sit through it again today and even then i, got, I made notes for about the first 20 minutes and then it just stopped. Because <laughs> well, the thing is, like, you start, you know, being quite good at this. Like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to note that down. I don't forget it. And then you just all of a sudden you're in the movie. 
Yeah, I, I find it's a really easy film to slip into. I think it's one mm. of, uh, for people who've never, I think it's a, it's a perfect film to start people off with, with Hitchcock, to be yeah. honest, because I think it's probably his most audience-pleasing type film. It's a proper, you know, crowd-pleaser. And it, there's a lot of, uh, it's, I, I think it's almost like an audience participation movie in that you're very clearly put in, in the in the in the position of James Stewart's character mm-hmm. uh, and you're sitting in that window looking at the window with him it's almost like a VR movie in that you're you're seeing because it's such a fixed I should say for anybody who's not seen it it's all and we, we're talking spoilers right we are oh yeah. god yeah yeah it's, it's old so, enough that I think we can yeah so if you've not seen it go away watch it come back come back um it's 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 all set in one room, basically in in James, uh, James Stewart's um, living room, um, and he's just looking out his rear window, hence the title, and his courtyard, and it's it's all just seen through that perspective. There's occasionally, obviously, you get reverse shots when there's there's characters in the room talking and and so on, but it's it's. Considering, I think, how confined it is, it's you, you don't really feel like you're missing anything out of the film. It's not like it needs. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like it's been remade and pseudo remade before, uh, you know, plenty of times. And whenever it's that somebody's done a film like it, they they don't do the same kind of like restricted setting. Mm-hmm. There's always you know some kind of running around chase sequence at the end, you know. Whereas this is all really kind of just solitary, um, and it all really kind of hinges on 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 dialogue in a way. And I think this, and this is something else we can talk about really, is it's very there's a, there's a lot you know the kind of there's dialogue, and then there's a lot of not dialogue mm. at the same time. There's some a lot of scenes you know there's a lot of back and forth and discussion between the characters about what's going on, and is you know you're talking rubbish and of course people don't murder their wives and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then you go, well, maybe they are. And what do you know? And now I'm convinced and so on. And also there's long pieces of, of, of where a lot of information is put over with no dialogue at all, mm. uh, which is just really, really clever. Um, but it's, it's, and it's, and it's interesting as well that it's, it's, it's it's a thing that kind of like I say with I was talking about like Alfred Hitchcock or Hitchcock's tropes. He made a few films that are set in these kind of confined areas. So he did before I think a couple of films before Rear Window. He did a film called Rope, mm-hmm. also with James Stewart. That's basically just set in one room, and that's shot in that's in another experiment. And that's all in long takes. So it's all basically, and it's all hidden cuts. So when you watch that, it's like watching a play in that there's no cutaways and no, uh, it's it, it's all one shot essentially. As you watch it, it's just one shot, one unbroken shot. And before that, a good few years before that, he did a film called Lifeboat, which is set entirely on a lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> which which is kind of like how do you do a 90 minute film just set on a lifeboat you know yeah but uh but he likes to play these games and you, and like you do kind of it's, it's like a little kind of subgenre that i kind of like i enjoy that kind of stuff i mean you get i know stephen king 
uh, wanted to do something like that. Like he he he's played with that a few times. He did. He wrote Cujo, which is kind of although it's as a novel and and like the film adaptation, it's it's you know it spreads around and it's in different locations. But the main chunk of that story is set in a car. It's a a woman and a and her son stuck in a car um, yeah. with a rabid dog on the outside. And he said he wanted to really push that and try and do one that was just set in like an elevator mm-hmm. or was just set in a phone booth. And and obviously there was a film called Phone Booth with Colin Farrell that was the same sort of thing. And I think, did M. Night Shyamalan do a film called Devil that was set in a in an elevator, set in an elevator yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And I kind of liked that. I, I, I kind of like to see that. Um, that experimentation and how you can pull that off, you know. Yeah. Um, well, this was one of the things that I was talking to Rich about after I watched it, is that because I had assumed, I thought there's no way you can make a 90-minute movie about a dude peeping on his neighbour and going, there's been a murder there, lads. Like, <laughs> I thought there's, there's, you don't, that's not, that's not a 90-minute story, come on. Mm. So I was adamant there was going to be, like, a bit of a lead-up as to, like, Harry broke his leg or, like, a bit of, like, bump about the actual neighbours themselves. But what I really loved about this film is that there was absolutely no flab whatsoever. Like, every frame is telling you something either about him or his state of mind or the neighbours. Like, there's nothing, there's no, you know, oh, he's been in a skiing accident watching fall down this metal. Like, none of that. It's just, is a man, broken yeah. leg, peeping just, out the window, go. No waffle, get into <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, it's that, it's like what I was saying against the, the dialogue versus the silent stuff, is you basically get told the whole kind of prologue in one shot right at the start. When mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the credits so you know the title comes on you see the the courtyard and you see various people his neighbors puttering around and the camera comes in you see him asleep with you know there's a heat wave Mm -hmm. so everybody's got their windows open got the blinds up he's sweating he's in a chair then you see like a smash camera then you see like a photo that he took of a of a race car crashing which is you, you your brain then puts that go okay broken leg plus broken camera plus car crash he got he got hurt taking that photo mm. and then you know and it pans across and you see some more photos and more camera equipment then you see some magazine covers and stuff like that and you basically get the whole little potted backstory there purely visually which is like really really clever yeah um, i've got to uh, say about the opening sorry but i've got to say no, like okay. um stace i don't know if you noted this but you know, we are opening from like inside his his apartment and we've got the wicker blinds going up. And it's just like being in the theatre, mm-hmm. you know, the show is beginning. So the curtain's going up and then you're out onto the onto the courtyard and yeah. looking across everyone's gardens and, and balconies and the odd couple that are sleeping out on their balcony because it's too well, actually, the fire escape because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot and things like that. And there's real, I know he was kind of, I believe he, Hitchcock was kind of known for this, but there's real voyeurism to it as well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, um, it's a big, yeah, it's a big, I, in my notes, I've got voyeurism <laughs> underlined. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I wrote down, this film is great at making you feel like an absolute peeping Tom. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, what I thought was quite interesting was watching it this time and proper paying attention to it because it's one, you know, for me, it's, I'm so familiar with it. I, I don't even watch it when I watch it. You know, you just mm-hmm. just let it wash over you. So I said, actually properly watching it now. And I thought, and it was quite controversial at the time when it came out. There were reviewers who thought it was a bit sordid and a bit seedy. Was that because uh, of the perky uh, breasted blonde? Well, just generally. The oh, whole and everything else. Right, sure. <laughs> looking and the murder. Yeah, and on the murder, yeah. <laughs> was, um, by the way, I also noticed for the first time, during that opening shot, you can see Miss Torso having a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can. Because I, I remember like looking at that and thinking, why doesn't anyone close their windows? But then immediately it's like, oh, it's roasting. OK, I get like it's yeah. because <laughs> yeah. at first I was like, this is insane that everybody's windows are just like, oh, everyone come and have yeah. a look in. What I did think was wonderful about um, a lot of this film, though, is that it never it sounds daft but like you never feel like the neighbors are watching you back because i feel like that would make it especially creepy Mm. but like the way that hitchcock films it so that nobody ever like looks directly over at uh house (laughs) like nobody's looking directly at you ever um you know and obviously until a bit later in the film when uh, shenanigans occur um but it really does like what I really liked about it is that it immediately makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, but then it puts you in the mindset of he's been here for weeks. He's bored off his head. He's normally somebody yeah. who's running around taking photos and doing like amazing yeah. things and seeing brilliant stuff and traveling the world. And here he is stuck with this like tiny courtyard that's mm. blocked off like all sides. So you can't see any of the rest of the city or yeah. like there's nothing for like for entertainment except his neighbors mm. um but what i love about it as well is that it doesn't make any bones about pointing out that that is gross at the start like when his nurse yeah. comes in who by the way i absolutely love oh, one yeah, of my yeah. new favorite people in anything ever and she's, she's just amazing. like stop being a perv yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I was, I was watching i was thinking oh you know yeah this is you know actually talking of like voyeurism it's quite toned down and so mm. because of the time it was made, they couldn't, you know, like I say, having the Miss Torso, like mm. the first shot of the, it's very subtle, you see her in the shower, and then she comes out the shower and kind of tries to put a bra on, drops the bra, bends over, picks it up and puts it on. And you can only see her from behind. Perfect. And that would have been really very racy. Mm. For the yeah, oh, yeah. 54, because you had yeah. the whole um, decency act and everything. You yeah. know, you couldn't show even really a married couple with their feet off the floor in a bed well, yeah things well like, that. like say the couple sleeping on the fire escape if you notice they're uh top and toe in it so mm. his head's at one end one side and her head's at the other side so they're not even sleeping side by side and they're a married couple and yet you're still yeah, allude to a sexual relationship that was like yeah. a big you know no no that, that yeah, couldn't all happen that kind of stuff was really you know a, a hitchcock really used to push the boundaries a lot now like i say we've come on a lot further now and it, you oh, know yeah. so that you don't really even notice it particularly that how far he's pushing it like there's the like this the kissing for example he was really pushing the boundaries of the kissing scenes now you watch those and they're nothing mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. but but because they like say for example a kiss couldn't last above so many seconds yeah so to to 
beat that, he'd have people doing lots of little kisses for a long time because that didn't count. So if you watch it, there's a lot of they're talking and kissing each other and it's all there's no it'd be all tongues and yang yang yang. There was there was one scene where I actually wrote down that they need to stop talking while they're kissing because it was <laughs> she was clearly trying to be like, let's go let's let's move this along, let's get sexy now. And he was going, Yeah, but I think I think she's probably she's probably buried it she's probably buried in the flower bit. That dog's after <laughs> you're like, mate, stop talking about a murder and a buried body while I'm trying to do a sexy upon you good lord (laughs) and great oh my god can we talk about how fucking beautiful grace kelly is in this film well i mean grace kelly was just stunning and what what her outfit but you know what i wrote down uh, one of my notes was that they said eleven hundred dollars for a dress was expensive it's expensive now yeah Yeah. it's probably (laughs) like four times what it was then now and i was just like that's it's always expensive. That's a ludicrous amount of money to spend yeah. on a dress. And I think for the time, she was, I think, I think she's just a really well-written character as well. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. From you know, she's I, a proper participant in yeah. the story. Because from what I understand of, of Hitchcock and his films, the women often were. They weren't just yeah. pretty things to look at, you know. Yeah. Even, I mean, he, he was very much into objectifying women as well. Absolutely. He liked looking at women, but he also gave them you know, anima and yeah. kind of, and, and flaws. Even, uh, I mean, Janet Lee in Psycho, yeah. you know, com- and completely. And Grace Kelly was, was lovely in this. And I mean, I even noted down how very gentle and pleasant her voice was when she's speaking, you know, she never, yeah. she was never loud or brash, like she was trying to hit the back yeah. of the, the room or anything, always poised and. Um, yeah, just pure elegance. Yeah. Yeah, and you just think, and it's kind of, I mean, she was only, I think, 25 yeah. at that point, and she'd only been working for, she only had a very short career, really. She only she only worked for about six or seven years. She did, because, I mean, she did this and a, and a few others, and, of course, High Society, which was a huge yeah. smash musical, and then she became Princess Grace of Monica. Yeah, then she married, yeah. Uh, and then that was it. She she basically stopped acting and then sadly died um quite young really yeah i think she was about 55 something yeah it's it's still very hazy about the actual accident the car accident the cause of death and and who was driving yeah she was um um, i think i mean this is going yeah i could be wrong because you, you're more the historian. I think she didn't. She have like a brain embolism or something. She, like that? Yeah, there, she was complaining of like migraines and things a lot, I believe. And mm. there was a question of whether she was driving or her daughter, who was with her in yeah. the car at the time in the accident as well, was driving. Yeah. Um, and it, it was never, as far as I have understood it, it never seemed to be really cleared up. Yeah. Um, but it is assumed that Grace Kelly was driving and yeah. had an aneurysm or something. Yeah. Um, uh, sadly, so, crashed and died. Yeah, horrific. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think it was weird as well because I think like her daughter was barely. I say daughter. I think she was, you know, obviously was in her twenties or something. Mm. So I automatically, as soon as you think she was driving with the daughter, I'm thinking, oh, that poor child. You yeah. Know, you just no, imagine she it's was, like a three-year-old. Uh, she was but, a young um, adult at the time. Yeah, and she was barely, barely injured. I think a few. That's right. I think stuff. she managed to sort of get herself away from the wreckage. But, yeah, and 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 Grace, I think broke a neck or something like that, and then died uh, the next day in hospital or something. something. Horrific. It's it's always so tragic. But she had an amazing career while she had one. 
Um, yeah. Just, I mean, you look at her filmography and the num- number of classic f- films she made. I mean, she won that- an Oscar. In fact, I think she won an Oscar. I want to say she won it when Judy Garland should have won it, but I might be wrong. So you mm. carry on whilst I do a Google. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I mean, because she, I mean, she was in High Noon and she, I think this was she did three films with Hitchcock, if I remember right. She did Dial M for Murder just before Rear Window and she did To Catch a Thief just after she did three in a row and Hitchcock loved her. Yeah. He was absolutely, he wanted her, he, all the time she was, you know, being a princess and royalty, he was begging her to come out of retirement uh, and do more movies for him, which he never did. But he was, he was completely uh, infatuated with her. In, well, I'm not surprised because she's, I think this is the the first, like possibly the only Grace Kelly film that I've actually seen. Mm. Which really? is a shocking thing to say it loud, and I'm very sorry. Well, um, well that's what this is for. We'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I did like she really struck me because I think this whole film hinges on her relationship with Stuart and their sort of dual performances, and everything about her just screamed like like you say like elegance and grace, but. As you say, she was also a very active participant. Like the the segment where she clambers up the flipping oh, yeah. fire escape and creeps in the window, I was just like, if that was me, I'd have like moved out already. Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, was that a stunt woman? Who, I don't I, I know think, if it was because she was wearing that gorgeous dress, and I'm thinking oh, if that was me, yeah. I would have gone arse over. To do. Yeah, I would have gone yeah. arse over tit over the wall, just yeah. climbing up and jumping over that wall, and then. That whole scene when she's getting thrown about by Raymond Burr. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that's Ironside and Perry Mason. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the thing. Yeah, he, he went on to become a detective, became uh, Perry Mason and Ironside, and appeared in Godzilla, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the American version of the first Godzilla movie. Crazy. He was, his scenes, they shot extra scenes with Raymond Burr to explain the plot. That, and, oh, and I saw American something in about this. Well, I was watching uh, the movies, um, a documentary series, and they were saying about that because I took the the was it the original Japanese version? Yeah. They took bits of, and then they cut him into it. Yeah, <laughs> to give back the story. It's crazy. Yeah. And then when in, I remember watching. I think it was called Godzilla '85. They did like a direct sequel. You know, they rebooted the franchise thing in like '85, and they did a direct sequel to the first one. And they took the, you know, the the the, the, the same thing again. Got the Japanese film and edited him in in nineteen eighty five as himself doing little things. And I thought that was quite a nice little uh, yeah uh, well, thing to do. I mean, knowing this is a safe space, never seen Godzilla. Oh, uh, well, that's that's another one for the, <laughs> for the list. That it, that is a good one actually. That is well worth. Well, watching. I I did that quick Google and I was I was right. It was uh, for the Country Girl in nineteen fifty four that yeah. um grace kelly won the oscar for which was the same year that yeah. um judy garland's a star is born was out yeah. and she was hot you know highly hotted to be the winner but um lost to a film that no one remembers yeah well that's that's how it goes for the oscars i mean uh, yeah nobody um, talks about gandhi anymore nobody talks about on golden pond they yeah, no, nobody golden talks pond about astounding. you know oh, uh, actually, A Star is Born is one, if you haven't watched it, I would love for you to watch. Cause it's... Yeah, I've, I've not seen you. Well, you know me in musicals. Uh, we're going to get to that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've, not, I've not seen that either. I've only yeah. seen the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper version. I will always say that the 54 version is the best. 
mm-hmm. um, because but we'll get to it. I think we should watch it and we'll. I'll, well, I'll, you know, when, I'll when your choices get there. come up, get there. We'll it's, get there. it's up to you then, isn't it? When your choices come up. Exactly. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I really loved about Rear Window was the um, the writing of it. There are some like really brilliant lines and like some really great yeah. zingers in there. Yeah. Um, one of the bits that really stood out to me as well was because I don't know, like because I don't. This is going to sound terribly uncultured, and I do apologise to everybody who's listening to this. Going, why is this woman allowed a podcast about films? Um, but. I haven't watched an awful lot of movies that were made sort of like prior to like the 80s because my family weren't big on watching those and there's an awful lot of them for me to catch up on. (laughs) Um, So I've always got this image in my head of like, oh, I don't really want to watch like, especially like 40s and 50s movies because I'm going to be like, it's all going to be, you know, misogyny and wife beating and like, it's just going to be awful and I'm not going to like it. Um, so I was very worried about watching this and, and immediately thinking all the women in this are treated like garbage and I hate it. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said before, the nurse is wonderful. Like she comes in absolutely oh, no fucking nonsense, yeah. not having a bar of anybody's shit. She Selma is Ritter. wonderful. Absolutely perfect. Um, but there was a wonderful bit as well. And I actually wrote down the line because I was so struck by what a wonderful line it was, especially from a movie from 54, which is when um, – Stuart and Kelly are peeping out the window at um, the uh, ballet dancer over the way and she's having like a bit of a party with a few sort of like upperclassmen type folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's basically like, oh, look at her schmoozing around, essentially calling her a bit of a slut. Uh, <laughs> and, and Grace Kelly says, um, uh, to me, it looks like she's doing a woman's hardest job, juggling wolves. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God, that is perfect. Like, what an amazing line. Yeah. Delivered so wonderfully. Because it's not like it's not like she doesn't go indignant, like, oh, you don't know how hard it is to be a woman. It's mm. a very understated sort of like, mm. actually, she's probably doing what she needs to do to get where she needs to get in yeah. her career. Yeah. But she's also got to be really careful because men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I mean, she, she's reacting as a person of knowledge she's not being defensive or anything she's going no i know about this Mm, yeah you know i'm prepared to be educated you know and i I think and i hope that you'll find today as and when we watch more movies from sort of the around the 40s 50s you'll you'll see some more of that because betty davis and joan crawford um so betty davis when she did all about eve and i think joan crawford and mildred pierce i think you'll see elements of that there too mm-hmm. um and uh barbara stanwick in double indemnity is yeah. just amazing there's a, there's, yeah there's you go back and there's a lot of you know women got a lot of you know i mean there's a lot of crap as it is as in anything yeah. you know but there's a lot of really outstanding female characters and performances many and, there as well you know and for a time women were paid more than the men yeah uh, in that acting was a draw. roles they were the draw they were the you know got all that all the housewives and that out to go to the cinema and mm. it, same with Catherine Hepburn in things like um the Philadelphia story and um the films that she did with Spencer Tracy so there's there's some great there are like like we said we know that there are some stuff that's just absolute misogynistic yeah yeah horrible stuff of of its time um but uh, there are there are some absolute gems. Even um, the women. There was a remake of the women in the early 2010s, mid 2010s. 
but there was, I think it was around, oof, I want to say 1940, but I might be wrong. Um, and it has an astounding female, it's all female cast. And some of the lines in that, especially from Joan Crawford, are just mm, French kiss, I tell you. Mm-hmm. They're just amazing. Yeah. I mean, took took the film Rita, she has, I think, the best the best yeah. line of the whole film. And it's the last line of the film, which is again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. When they uh when it's all been solved and yada yada yada. And there's been a big mystery to the whole film about what's been buried in the flower bed. <laughs> and they they've they've dug up the flower bed during the course of the film and it's empty and he's clearly moved whatever it was. And then, you know, the police are here and the rest has been made. And she asks um, Doyle, the, the, the cop friend, you know, whispers in his ear and he asks his you know, fellow cops, oh, what was in the, what, ask him what was buried in the, uh, in the flower bed. And he goes, oh, he, he moved it. You know, it's, it's in a hat box in the, uh, in his apartment. And, uh, Wendell Corey's character turns to Thelma Richard and says, oh, do you want to go and check it out? And she goes, no, I don't want any part of her. Which I think <laughs> is just the best line. It is so sick. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's gross. Um, and they get away with such, like I say, they really push. I mean, the, I Thelma mean, it does just get the best lines. And she's the most bloodthirsty mm. thirsty character. Yeah. There's the bit where... Um, they're talking about the murder and stuff and how he would have done the murder. And uh, she lays out, look, Jamie Stewart's uh, breakfast. And uh, he's trying to eat his bacon and eggs. And she's going, oh, yeah, she's munching on toast going, yeah, you must have cut her up in the bathtub. <laughs> oh, the blood splatter. <laughs> yeah, the spray. <laughs> must have splattered a lot. And she's all such that. a and great just a character bit. actor. She really yeah. is. I mean, I mean she was... Uh, sorry, sorry, a little factoid. Yeah. Is I think she's got the world record for the most Oscar nominations for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, really? That yeah. Makes I don't sense. know if she ever won, but she got the most nominations. I Because as soon as she came on, it's like, I know her. And yeah. it's like, and now I know why, because she was in All About Eve yeah. playing um, uh, Betty Davis's maid. Um, assistant maid, whatever, in that, and she was, and kind of, kind of surly, sharp, sarcastic, in that as well. I'm just, yeah. Just, I mean, really, uh, you think about it. We've got a cast of basically four characters. There's four leads, mm. two guys and two women. Yeah. And it, and it's a th- the, the you know, you, then you got Tom the copper, who's who's kind of a, he's, I mean, he's he's really well played as well. To be mm. honest, I think he does a terrific job. I'm surprised. Mm. Yeah, I was trying to think, well, what have I seen Wendell Corey in? I don't think I've seen him in anything else. And I'm really kind of surprised because he's he plays his part super, super well. And he really balances. He he puts across the whole. He's supposed to be an old friend of um, Jimmy Stewart's. They they were, you know, flew together in the war, flying reconnaissance planes. And, you know, note everything comes back to seeing and viewing and spying. Even the reconnaissance planes. And there's a photo on the wall of them two standing in front of their reconnaissance plane and stuff like that. So, uh, so you really get the, you know, they, he really banters with Jimmy Stewart, mm. like, like mates do, Yeah, you know, it's mm. not all, you know, well, you know, and he joshes him and takes the piss and, you know, there's a lot of backwards and forwards and there's a lot of that generally, you know, when people argue, 
yeah. both sides you know it's not one person just going well i'm clearly in the right and shame on you there's a lot of backwards and forwards and you go well yeah there's this i mean one of the one of the subplots is like the conflict between Tina <laughs> stewart and grace kelly their relationship oh, yeah yeah that, that part that part baffled me a little bit just because I was like, imagine being in the position to date this woman and being like, <laughs> nah, not interested. But, but, but as soon as he qualified himself as like, I'm clearly not good enough, I was like, oh, yeah. that I can identify with. Yeah, that's, yeah, I thought that was really clever. That yeah, it's very that. relatable. And I, and I think, I think, and that's where casting Jimmy Stewart worked really well because he's a really, I mean, he's a totally likable guy. He mm. could say stuff. I mean, he says some pretty cruel things. Mm. He does. You know, and he can it, get away with it because you you trust Jimmy Stewart. You you know where he's coming from. Yeah. And he can he can get away. You know, if that had been anybody else, even even somebody like Cary Grant, maybe you'd you'd go, oh, that's a that's a bit of a low blow. He's a bit of a prick. Yeah, because mm. I even put in my notes. I wrote, <laughs> I asked the question, why are these two people a couple? Yeah. Uh, and then he's a grump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think I, I i also get the feeling he feels i think there's a degree of he feels a degree of inadequacy to her but also at the same time and this is why i like it because you can there's a lot of to and fro and you go well there's this and there's that like he's a realist and she's a bit of a idealist yeah you know he he you know he's very grounded and going well and he's stuck in his way and i think this is where the age i know there's a lot of stuff about the age gap because there's something like a 20 year gap and i think i actually think they they try to make him look older than he is he was 46 or something when he made it Mm -hmm. um and i think he looks older than that there's a lot of gray in his hair and stuff like that and they tend to push the whole invalid thing you know he looks very frail at times for for an action man you know his character is very active and goes out and about Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's all these little conflicts going on and i do feel there's a bit of where he feels like, well, you know, this is, he's older, so he's kind of set in his ways and he knows what he wants to do. And she's kind of, you know, she's a lot younger, so she's more adventurous in that aspect, where he's more kind of physically testosterone adventurous, mm. you know? And, she, and, and, you know, she's kind of like a, almost a, a bit of a dreamer. And, and although, yeah. I, but again, I think that it works really well. Like he says, oh, well, you know, I have to eat fish heads and rice and I have to sleep in the same clothes for a week and, and all this kind of stuff. And she comes back with a what I thought was a great counter was going, which was like, look, don't tell me how to dress. I know how to dress appropriately, you know, yeah. which I thought was a great little counter to his, his argument, but it's, yeah. but it's, yeah, because and I was because like the, it just comes back to the writing. The writing yeah. was just so good, and the characters so well rounded. Even if we expand the characters out to the courtyard, yeah, and look at the neighbours, like you've got the the songwriter and the yeah. cheeky cameo. I think I spotted there of, of yeah, Hitchcock yeah. having yeah. a look up on the man's shelf, you know. Yeah. And that was about. But what about Miss Lonely Hearts? That was the yeah. most heartbreaking. Oh. Well, here, here's an interesting thing, because I read the original story and none of that is in there. Really? Yeah, there's none of that stuff about. I mean, for a start, like uh, Grace Kelly char- character's not in there. Right. Thelma Ritter's character's not in there. The cop friends is in there. Um, the, the replacement for the two women is a black assistant houseboy type person that's okay. very dodgily written. Mm-hmm. Um, and like 
at no point does the hero, you know, Jeff, he's, he's called Jeff in, Jeff in the original story as well. No point does he take um, the houseboy into his confidence, but he still sends him out. I'll go and break into that apartment <laughs> and mess around. But he, and he just does it. There's, he doesn't tell him why. So it's, it's you know, oh, that's <laughs> don't don't shove this letter under the door and don't be seen oh, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's none of the stuff about the about the all the little B stories, all yeah. the little anthology stories about like the newlyweds and yeah. and all that. None of that's there. But and and uh, it was so so perfect. So just all yeah. the human interest stories mm. going on out there and and I just I really felt for Miss Lonely Hearts like yeah. the the pretending to have a date. And yeah. someone come around and just breaking into tears. And then she eventually does go out and meet someone and it all gets a little bit too heavy handed for her. And she's slapping the guy and kicking him out. Next thing we know, she's writing up a letter and basically counting yeah. out the pills to take to commit suicide. And well, it's, yeah, it's it's nice. It's very, uh, very cleverly done because for, for a start, I think all those neighbours reflect Jimmy Stewart's life back to it. Mm. There's all there's all stuff like it's all potentials like the whole thing about the wedding will he get married you know um, Lisa wants to marry him and then you've got like the newlyweds which would be like the ideal version and then you've got Thorwalds who are you know very badly <laughs> functioning <laughs> as a married couple then you've kind of got the the, the couple with the dog who uh, in reading up about it I always thought those those were quite of a sweet couple. Mm. But I think there might have been a bit of a over time has kind of changed their kind of relevance because it. Well, I read a few reviews and comments from the time they were talking about and like Hitchcock in interviews was talking about him. They're being they're a childless couple, um, and like the dog is supposed to replace their child. Oh, no. and they're seen as quite a a pathetic oh, couple, yeah. and like they go, oh, it's very interesting how they overreact to the death of the dog. Well, and, do you know what? and I'm like, that's not overreacting. No, the death of the dog really got me because I'm not um I'm not somebody who usually reacts to like death in any sort of film in in a yeah. you know particularly dramatic way. Um, but I am particularly like when it comes to animals, I don't like to see an animal die in a film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the it was the reaction when she's screaming at the neighbours yeah. that like you're all there. And you, but none of you care and none of you were looking out for each yeah, other. Yeah. And like she's having this big rant about like the complete lack of like community spirit. And like what I what I enjoyed about that sort of part of the story is that not only does it add to the theory of, you know, is that uh, did the Thorwalds do a murder? Um, <laughs> but it's but it's also like James Stewart is sitting there and watching like a woman going on the road to suicide and he's not doing shit about that because it's not interesting to him because he's focused mm. now fully on yeah. whether or not Mrs. Thorwald is dead uh, yeah. and he's his attention and it's it's that sort of commentary as well on sort of like you know the community aspect of it that I really enjoyed because it's not yeah. I mean I, I don't think I could tell you my neighbours names mm. which is really bad. <laughs> I was um, going to say it does kind of echo you know some of today as well still yeah. isn't it you know it's several decades later mm. and you've still got similar things happening now i mean well, i think i think from the time it kind of reflects that kind of fear of loss of community at mm. the yeah. time yeah the cities yeah. were starting to really sprout up post-war um, and all that kind of stuff was going on because isn't um, it like the cold war and stuff happening mm. too so you had the 
you know, do you trust your neighbour sort of thing yeah, yeah. as well. That's a good point. I didn't think about one, yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting, like, obviously, the, the and which, again, this is the duality of it and why I thought this is the whole voyeurism is so interesting because it, clearly it, it kind of says, like, voyeurism is a bit creepy. Um, but it also says, but he get, he is protecting his community. Mm-hmm. And at that point when the dog dies and she comes out and rants at everybody, goes, like, nobody cares, nobody talks to anybody, nobody pays any attention. And it's and it's him doing something wrong, which is like peeping on his neighbours that actually kind of. Um, so it, it almost says, yeah, yeah, voyeurism, bad, obviously, but also mm. not because he's actually paying attention to his neighbours and he's interested in his neighbours. And there's there's a lovely bit earlier on where where Miss Lonely Hearts is going through a little mock, a mock dinner or a mock date. I can't remember yeah. what it is. And she pours herself a glass of wine and toasts her invisible companion. And Jimmy Stewart in his apartment has a glass of wine and he toasts her mm. like, a, you know, she doesn't mm. know. And you sort of think, well, invite her over, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then you get you get to the point where she's about to do it, you know, a suicide. Mm. And it's his nurse, you know, that says, yeah. phone the police because I know what's happening over there. And he does phone the police. But then, of course, Grace Kelly's breaking into... <laughs> Well, that, that's, yeah, that's why it's so clever, is that you've got yeah, these little vignettes going on that you, that feel like little bits of filler and distraction. And yeah, and, and they are, and they're that sort of that, and it's misdirection and all that kind of stuff. And then you get uh, the lovely bit where the musician starts playing music and it stops Miss Lonely Hearts, yeah. and you get that little side story happening. Yeah. But when you had, um, so we had Grace Kelly breaking into the murderer's house because why wouldn't you when you can't find what you're looking for buried <laughs> in the garden so you're just going to climb the fire escape and yeah. break into his house ha- and the climbing um, across the window yeah what? in in that dress head. and those shoes yeah. i know right yeah. and, it's, and it's interesting like we were talking earlier about like the time period and mm. and you kind of have to remind yourself that kind of women didn't really do that then no yeah. That being that active and like physically active, and you know that reflects him not being able to go and do stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, and when she comes back, she's elated. He, there's an amazing shot of him looking at her with absolute adoration, mm. and that's the point where he, I think, where he he clearly falls in love with her at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before then, you don't really get a sense of how long they've been together, but probably, you know. A while, you know, factor a good, in the fact a good year they're talking or so. about marriage, but yeah. you know mm-hmm. that happened a lot quicker back yeah. then. Um, obviously, she's not met his friend Doyle. She doesn't know a lot of stuff, mm. uh, but she knows Thelma Ritter's character, so she must have been around a few times. I get the impression they've not slept together yet because there's that whole thing about her staying over. Yeah, the, what was it? Women's intuition for a bed for the night. Yeah, which what a lie. <laughs> what a lie. And he's going, well, let me think about it. Also, did well, you did you pick up on the whole the woman's intuition and in explaining how the wife is definitely dead because she didn't take a handbag? A handbag? Because yeah. everyone knows that a woman keeps her handbag at the post of a bed, so it's there for her to grab when she goes. And I'm like, love. That would never work now. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't translate. Well, this but is the thing. So, sorry, go on. No, it doesn't translate to now, but it becomes, you watch that and go, that's clearly a little time capsule. Yeah. You know, yeah. that 
clearly works because it's written. I think what I was reading about the writer and he based he basically he created the, the, the writer created Lisa a whole cloth. Like I say, she's not in the original story. Mm. So he created her and he he based her on his on his wife, who was an ex model and stuff like that. And she provided a lot of the he took oh, a lot okay. of her dialogue. Oh, she sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> very real, you know. I loved that part where they were having an argument and she was leaving and she was like, oh, gee, I'm never going to see you again. And he was like, oh, are, are you sure I won't? And she's like, well, at least until tomorrow. Mate. I know. <laughs> at least. I was like, that is such a woman thing to say. The, um, the thing about the time capsule, though, that, that like really struck me was um, I read a <laughs> – this is so embarrassing – I read a, a point horror novel. Uh, earlier this year called The Window um, mm. because I was trying to like basically relive my youth and I was like I remember the cover of this from my childhood so I'll buy it and I'll read it again and it turns out it's just a massive fucking ripoff of Rear Window um, <laughs> with a lot of extra like faff that it doesn't need like a flipping skiing to- com- like contest on a mountain and all that <laughs> yeah. blah, blah. but like the reason the window, I mean, it's not a very good book anyway, but the reason the window didn't really work for me at all was because it was sort of set when it was written. So it was like the late 90s, mm-hmm. early 90s, maybe. Um, so it's very much sort of like, you know, they've got phones and they've got computers and it's <laughs> it's all just like uh, the phone wasn't working. like it's that really sort of grasping at straws of like but like whereas with rear window like the bit where she goes into his house you shit yourself because you think you can't text her and say oh he's coming like you could now if you were watching somebody climbing someone else's house like you shout across the you know the the courtyard yeah because that would alert literally everybody to your peeping tolerance yeah. and also <laughs> yeah. a murderer to your missus but like but that I, I just think it's a perfect I think it's perfect that it was set when it was because yeah. it does make it much more tense um because like even in the Simpsons parody they do a similar thing where Bart makes Lisa break into the Flanders house to like poke around and then Flanders comes back and there's all that palaver and like even though that's like blatantly a joke, it is still kind of tense having somebody like move around a building that you know mm. somebody you love is in and you are shit out of luck at doing anything about it because mm. you you know you're on the opposite side of the street, you can't signal her in any way, and your leg is broken. And I think um, I think that's the great thing about because like we we still watch like these type of films today, and they can still create like these really tense moments. But there was like that scene that we're now talking about where she's gone across and he can't warn her. And then there's the following scene where he's coming to get Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Oh, and honestly, I just, I wrote down Hitchcock, you know, master of suspense Mm -hmm. with light and shadows as well. I mean, the cinematography was superb, Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. but that whole suspense of, he's already caught her is he going to kill her are the cops going to get there I mean I was literally like are the cops going to get there is she going to do a dead I'm not sure <laughs> and yeah. yeah and the thing the fact that it all, all revolves about the wedding ring as well which is like yeah. oh my god just really keep pushing those themes man yeah just, yeah you know the whole thing is on a wedding ring and she's yeah. wearing the wedding ring and, and I just thought oh man this is this is a you you they've read the hell out of this script Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wasted at all. It, everything comes back to the themes. It does. It's like you say. There's, there's nothing wasted. There's barely an inch of film wasted at all in this in this mm-hmm. film. And how they're telling it, and 
the build-up suspense in those in those last few scenes, you know, when he's shutting yeah. off all the lights and he just has his his uh, camera flash. Yeah. Oh, and how beautiful is that? That there's no oh, guns. There's yeah. no, you know, there's not a big fight. He's literally only got his only weapon is his the tools of his trade. Again, it's flash bulbs. So, and yeah. it all just comes and he blinds him to slow him down. It's all down to viewing and eyes and seeing mm, and not yeah. being able to see. And, just so just like my god and how old's this movie and i even loved how they did the negative out of rain yeah. and burr you know when yeah. the flash goes off and you get that kind of orange black yeah negative out thing going on and then their little fight was kind of amusing in a way like when he starts I, I, well, tipping I, him out I, the window i find that really uncomfortable yeah. yeah because because it's so silent and it's not a big you know, roundhouse punches and kung fu and all that yeah. kind of stuff. He's literally just flipping him over and pushing him out the window. And because he's got a broken leg as well, you feel helpless on his behalf. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know he can't fight back, really. Like Yeah. yeah. And again, I think his Very age stressful. comes into it as well. He feels older and frailer. We've seen him with his shirt off. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's basically like a skeleton. And, yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a bit where um, Jimmy Stewart, kind of grunts with frustration mm. and it's the and it just gets me right in the guts that you just feel that kind of he's fighting back and he knows it's not happening mm. he's yeah. he, he's going out that window you know yeah yeah and it's just you're so well done interestingly about again another little factoid about the um you know the flashes you know where mm-hmm. it goes orange they worked on that a lot and that was like a visual effect obviously where the, the, the screen goes kind of red and then kind of wipes out yeah and that was the second attempt the first attempt they got the effects guys to do it and they did it like all twirly twinkles and mm. little circles and dancing lights and stuff and they were going what the hell is that <laughs> and they and they actually went out the, i think with the producer and the writer and itch and went out and kind of <laughs> sat in a dark room and fired flashes into their eyes to see what it looked like and i go yeah it just kind of goes red my <laughs> god you know but it is it is i remember seeing that as a kid and going that's what it's like when you when you kind of yeah you know i recognize it i mean uh, if I, I think the only nitpicky thing for me at the end was the speeding up the film yeah you know yeah, to get the action weird. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah you tend to see that a lot like i was funny enough i was watching the pilot movie of the rock and files like the the 70s detective tv show yeah and like they just they just did that a lot they just sped stuff up from you mm. know there's like a car chase and they just it's like okay cars are going fast you don't need to speed it up how fast <laughs> are these cars supposed to go and it just looks silly mm-hmm. and there's 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 a you know you get a bit of that but i like but hitch kind of does that and i kind of let it go yeah because he'll do it for a reason like the opposite of that is when we first see when Grace Kelly first comes on, you get that beautiful close-up as she's leaning in, and then like a slow motion kiss that happens. Yeah. yeah. And it's like it, it, it's almost like oh, yeah, something's different. That this means something. It's a way of like underlining the the shot mm-hmm. for the audience. And I think with that kind of that kind of jerky, spidery thing. Yeah. It's almost like saying, well, this is how it feels to him. Like he's lost control and he's literally just going out the window before he even knows what's going on. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think the the going out the window scene was the only bit that sort of threw me a bit because 
because I'm a person who's looking at this with the majority of my experience of film being, like I say, like the 80s onwards, um, the fallout of the window really stands out as being like a, what, process, what, right, what is this? It's it's like the scene with the guy falling down the stairs in um, Psycho. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I've seen Psycho like a thousand times. I did my media studies um, coursework on, on Psycho. So I've seen that film like a gazillion times. And every time my brain would just get stuck on that because I'm like, that looks so crap. And like, <laughs> I understand that times were different and they were working with different things mm. and etc etc blah 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 but my my modern brain just sees things like that and goes (laughs) like i just can't it's like an involuntary like so when he falls out of the window like what i found funny about it was the angle that it's shot from makes it look like he only falls about 10 feet i thought that too (laughs) but then the fall itself is like wow i think that's where you get the one shot from you know that's the only time it comes out of the the room really and looks back yeah is to see him hanging out the the window, so you can see it's it's three stories up. Um, oh, and by the way, can we just them. talk about, can Sorry, we just talk about set for a moment? Because yeah. the whole courtyard is a set. That's yeah. a sound stage. Oh, which really? Blows my freaking mind, to be honest. I did wonder. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, if it I was mean, a set or not, but it makes angles, sense. It looks a bit fake. Like the sky, they don't quite pull off the sky. Yeah. But there's the but it's to what it is it's like a soundstage and they couldn't find a soundstage big enough to do five-story buildings so basically they knock the floor out and the bottom two stories are the basement of this soundstage so james stewart's apartment is on the ground ground floor of the stage okay the two stories below are the basement they've knocked the floor out of and then you go up and then the next two or three floors above are the you know are the rest of the stage and like I was just watching it and you're thinking, but it rains. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a rain scene. You've seen singing in the rain, right? <laughs> yeah, and, there, and, there's, and there's like there's the shot like over on the left hand side of the the camera left of the set, there's like an alleyway where you yeah. can just see a bit of like there's a there's a road. And like yeah. there's a like a bloody water truck drives down there at the start, spraying water. And I thought, they drove a truck into the sound stage. <laughs> They're, they're quite big, like, these things, you know. They're quite big. <laughs> amazing. It's just a phenomenal set. Apparently, it yeah. was like, while they were shooting, it became like a <laughs> an attraction. People would come. I can imagine. I want to, to just come and have a look at the set. Yeah. Uh, I got the feeling it was a set because that opening um, shot where it sort of comes through the window and then looks out onto mm. the courtyard felt very much to me like the start of a play. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. and so immediately it felt like a set to me yeah. um i mean, but, I mean, I mean well, it pitch, didn't detract from it at all for, for no, me I mean, no, he really liked he hated shooting outdoors if i remember right so he, yeah. he would have shot anything on the sound stage <laughs> and he didn't care whether it looked a little bit fake it was just a case of nobody would notice it doesn't it doesn't matter it's like they just accept that's what movies yeah. look like you yeah, know you like the, can you remember what the studio it and, was sorry do you remember what studio this was? Was it, it Universal was, uh, Paramount. Paramount? Okay. I was just thinking, because I think it was Fox, so I don't think it was Paramount. <laughs> and they had a massive uh, loss. They had to demolish so many of their sound stages. Mm. I think that was Fox. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, carry on. 
yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like a, I just find it just completely phenomenal that, and like you see, like because it does look com- completely convincing. You think, oh, this, you see them going up and down stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the craftsmanship of when they would make these practical sets yeah. is just insane, and and it's yeah. you know before proper green screen and yeah. And doing and all it, those it sorts like of things. There's, there's like behind the scenes shots that are taken at slightly different angles. And you can see that these buildings are just facades. Yeah. Mm. This is, you know, it's just a vertical front with a load of scaffolding behind it. Uh, and that's it, you know. Mm. And I was also reading another nice little thing. I, was, uh, I also read, or it was on like a, like a documentary, saying that um, Hitch had with live direct uh, all the all the neighbours and they all had earpieces and stuff mm-hmm. and oh, like right. the, and so he would give them like instructions about what to do and what to do with this and like the the bit where it rains and the couple who were sleeping on the uh, on the fire escape have to pick up their mattress and shove it in the inside yeah. and he told the man to go to the left window and he told the wife to go to the the right window and didn't tell them. That he t- so he's picking up the thing. So it's a genuinely genuine tug of war where they're trying to do what the director said. And apparently the bit where the, the husband kind of gives up and follows the woman is because she just pulled it. <laughs> and like where he falls in, that was a genuine fall where he toppled in. And you think, oh, it's a little bit of comic, you know, a comic mo. No, he just he just fell in because <laughs> he was panicking because he thought, oh, we we screwed up here. Brilliant. But, um, I just thought it's just like you know, um, it's lovely stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was I was even the nerd at the end who was you know when it's he sat there or fast asleep in his wheelchair with his now two broken legs and Grace Kelly sort of stretched out on his bed just reading a magazine. Well, no, she was reading a book first, wasn't she? Yeah, something something the Himalayas in the Himalayas or something like that. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, he's asleep, and then you put she puts that down and picks up Harper's Bazaar, and I'm like, yep, they still make that magazine today. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a nice little moment. I know at the time there's there was there was like some criticism or there's been criticism over the years of going, oh well, look, it's 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 a it's a cheat ending because they think they've they've come to like common ground because she's like wearing like practical clothes like she's and she's like she's reading up to go on an adventure with him but you know she's actually you know cheat lying to him and she you know as soon as he's asleep she'll pick up she hasn't changed she just pick up a fashion magazine but i thought no and i don't that's not how i interpret it at all i interpret it as yeah they've reached this accord and like she's discovered like the appeal of what he does but she's not giving up what she read uh, before yeah. anyway yeah she still likes well, her fashion everything well that's how that's how i read it too because to me that's what a healthy relationship is is you yeah exactly you yeah. cook things from each other but that doesn't necessarily mean you put away things that are you like yeah. exactly yeah but, uh, that, that, it, but, didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that it no, might be I, I, she was yeah. just being an arsehole about it <laughs> I, I think i think this stuff that like with again this is you know, you know, traveling through time and watching it with yeah. different eyes this stuff that would have been apparent at the time like the stuff with the you know the, the the couple the childless couple that wouldn't have occurred to me they're just like a, mm. a married couple with a dog yeah that's, that's that dog when it was in the basket was the cutest thing in the world yeah. and when i first saw it i wrote down you better not kill that dog <laughs> and, then later, <laughs> and then later on i wrote down not the dog you utter shit <laughs> i was so mad i was when she screamed and i was like that's the dog in it <laughs> Yeah. It, oh. it is, I mean, it, I mean, just talking about the plotting, it's just so clever the way it, 
to's and fro's like you're totally again because it's jimmy stewart you're to- you totally believe him you're totally on his side because jimmy stewart doesn't lie to you yeah. But there's that one shot where he's asleep and you see Thorwald leaving with a woman that mm. he doesn't yes. see. And, and we we see something that he doesn't see. So all the time you're watching it, you've got this little niggly thing in my head going, oh, yeah, but we've seen her leave. I wrote yeah. that down. I was yeah. like, is she dead? Because we saw a woman in black leave mm. the apartment whilst he was asleep. So yeah. so maybe he is just yeah. know, fantasizing you, you, it all. Yeah, but he, has he got completely the wrong end of the stick? Yeah. Well, this and, is the thing, because you, you imagine that somebody who, I mean, we've all had a bit of a taste of this over the past couple of years, but when you are trapped in a house on your tod and mm. the only thing you've got for company is, is watching everybody else out of your window, there's a, there's such a strong chance that he's just imagining shit out of sheer boredom. Yeah. Uh, or that he's, like, sort of paranoid about his own, like, relationship or his job once his leg heals or whatever, that he's projecting that onto other people. Like, because yeah. you – I actually wrote down, like, is he being paranoid, though? Because I didn't know what the end of the film was going to be. Like, yeah. I know how The Simpsons ended theirs, which is that it turns out that Ned Flanders had accidentally killed a plant and buried it in the back garden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the girlish scream that Bart heard was actually Ned himself at discovering the, the, <laughs> the plant. Um, so I didn't actually know whether or not there was a murder in this film. I'd sort of assumed so because it was Hitchcock, but yeah. because I've only ever seen Psycho, I've not seen any other Hitchcock films. Like I thought there is a chance that this movie just turns out that this man is like go, it's going slowly bananas with boredom and isolation. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, much I'll the say same. if this was remade now, that would certainly be something you could see someone playing with much mm. more. Mm. You know, and playing with that angle about, well, it, all these neighbours do seem to be reflecting his own life back at him. It could be, you know, with the first time we see him, he's asleep and maybe the whole thing's a dream. Maybe he never mm. woke up through, you know, and this is this is all just going on in his head, you know, and all that. Can't, you can play with those things, you know, I think you can see that you can watch it with a more cynical brain and that yeah. can work against you while you're watching it. You know, like you think, well, what's the twist going to be? Yeah. You know, is it going to be that Thorwald didn't kill his wife, but somebody else killed their wife and they've seen Jimmy Stewart looking out his window and they're going to come for him because they think he's seen them and he hasn't seen them. And somebody else, you know, like the, the pianist is going to come bursting through the door <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with a gun or something yeah, like that. Careful how you say that word, you know. I know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, the killer pianist. Oh, child. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's it's. Which it, which was one of the concerns I had, like knowing that you were going to watch it for the first time, is would it be twisty enough for you? I think you know? it absolutely was because I yeah. I was the same. So I'm not I'm not like a hundred percent. I was like ninety percent sure that he'd killed his wife, but there was always that little that little kernel of but did he? Because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure, and I think that's where Hitch and the script writing that. Had just been so brilliant, yeah. To to keep you wondering until the detective actually says, "Oh yeah, he did it." <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it is just a genius little moment. Like I also like say that's not in the in the original story that you know the yeah. um, that scene with the with the you know uh, Thorwald leaving with a, a woman. Mm. You know that that that's not in the story at all. Uh, the stuff with the dog isn't in the story at all. You know, uh, Thorwald leaving in the middle of the night and doing all these journeys in the rain. 
Yeah. It's with the suitcase isn't in there. The stuff with the, you know, the stuff, something buried in the flower bed isn't. Because even uh, that, that's what is in the story. What, right. It's interesting because it's. <laughs> Here's a spoiler for the story. I mean, it's a decent story, but it's you kind of go, okay, yeah, this is clearly just the skeleton, and they just work. I mean, it's a, it's not a huge story. It's only about, I think the version I read was twelve pages, but it's, oh, okay. they okay. were like big pages, so it's probably, you know, um, it's probably about twenty, thirty pages altogether normally. Um, I feel like that was just like, like a kind of a sketched workout of what the film could be in a story. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, like it's, it was the yeah, story it's, idea. It's, yeah, they they can't take the back and then just go, okay, we need to really just beef this up. Yeah. And and just put a lot more stuff in there. And in the in the original story, spoilers, sorry. Um, <laughs> Thorwald has murdered his wife, but he they kind of uh, and what what it is in the 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 apartment above them is being remodeled. And what he does, he kind of takes his wife's body up there and kind of buries it in the in the floor, in the fresh concrete yeah. and calls it in concrete. Mm-hmm. And and what happens was like Jeff sees Thorwald pacing up and down in his apartment, and he sees like the realtor or or estate agent or whatever it is pacing up and down in the in the empty apartment, and they kind of synchronize and they walk. Yeah, he sees them walking along in, in synchronization. I guess and he notices that there's like a, a step, and he kind of puts together that okay, he's buried he's buried her in the floor because there's a step. There. Anyway, but it's. It's a, it's a decent enough story, but the film really just milks it and just really wrings the the tension out of it, you know. Yeah. And you know, and it's also a bit, you know, there's a few dodgy racist bits in there, but it's not yeah. as racist as the H.G. Wells story, which is super super racist. Well, like I say, I was sort of expecting it to be a bit of its time and its views, mm. so I was quite happy that there wasn't as much of that mm. as I was anticipating. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing I really liked about seeing it visually as well, because the staging is so good, is that like, so having read The Window earlier this year, one of the things that really knocked me about that book is that there is no like established view into, so a girl breaks a leg on a mountain doing a ski and then she looks out of her ski chalet window and sees what she thinks is an argument and then the next day there's a murder. But like, even with binoculars, there are times when she can't even figure out if the two people in the room, like what gender they are, what height they are, who they might be. But yeah. she can see like a tiny smear of red on the wall that makes her think, oh, it was definitely yeah. a murder. And I'm like, well, that, that makes so little sense. So you can't see a fucking face, yeah. but you can see like an inch long smear. <laughs> enough, enough for you to go, I mean, it's definitely red even. Yeah. But you can't see a whole fucking face. So, yeah. like, I was quite happy about – because I'm terrible at visualising things as well. Like, I can't – if I'm yeah. reading a book, I'm just hearing the words in my head. I don't visualise anything at all. Yeah, I can't, I'm the same. Like, if I can't do it. Like, set or, or like yeah, I can area, be like that. It's like I've got yeah. no picture of that in my head. Yeah. All. So, to, to be able to see – like, you're seeing exactly what Jimmy Stewart is seeing from his apartment into other people's. So, yeah. even though you never actually see, like, a murder like, – <laughs> like there's no like knives or blood everywhere but you just see enough that you go that's shady though <laughs> yeah well that's yeah it's it's kind of interesting because like you you don't even get that in the story at all mm. you, there's no scream like there's a scream in the middle of the night that kind of triggers him to go, yeah. oh, that was what was that there's not even that literally the guy just goes oh he hasn't opened the shutters the uh, the blinds on the bedroom phrases yeah. where's mm, his yeah. where's his wife gone you know, and why is he ignoring his wife? 
And there was that, that whole bit when the dog was found dead and all the neighbours were listening to the to the woman, you know, screaming mm. at them all. And he doesn't come to the window. Yeah. Our, our, mur- our murderer doesn't appear. He's not. Yeah. Not taking part. That's a, that's a lo- one of those lovely little plot moments where you want to applaud and go, yes. oh, that's such a clever little thing to do. But he's just, all you can see is just like the, the tip of his cigarette lighting yeah. up in the dark yeah. room. Oh, that's so sinister. And that's just, <laughs> but it's, but like Hitchcock was so good at that, like signaling just evil with a tiny little thing. Like there's a, there's a, a shot in another, I can't remember if it's the 39 steps or another film of his. Where you kind of you, you, you're zooming in on like I think it's like a band, like an orchestra. Yeah. And there's there's one of the guys he, playing has got a twitch, and you immediately know how oh, he's the killer. He's got a twitch. Now that's not terribly nice, really, to go. Oh, yeah. he's got to be evil. He's got a twitch because people have twitches, you know, and are perfectly <laughs> yeah. nice. But that he, he finds these little ways of of find, just going. This one's yeah. Get, here's your attention. Why are we showing you this guy? You know. Uh, and, and like and also with like his white hair as well. Yeah. I thought that's a really clever because he's got a white shirt generally through the whole film and white hair. Now obviously he's he's, he's last forward, so you think oh, okay he's got to be you know Scandinavian descent or something like that. But I just I, it just makes him pop against yeah. all all the dark rooms and you got this white shirt and then his white hair all the time and he pops like yeah. in the in the, in the end when he comes into the you know the dark room where um, Jimmy Stewart's sitting. And he's just framed in the doorway, and all you can see is his eyes and his hair. And I'm going, this is uh, this is comic book stuff. This is like proper Frank Miller stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all just you know just these white bits just popping out at a black, just so so well done. And and also I think it's nice that although you know he's clearly a killer, he's not like a fiendish <laughs> type. Yeah. Evil no, maniac. No. He comes in and you almost feel sorry for him going, well, I've got no money. What do you want? Why yeah. don't you leave me alone? It's not if like he's money, Norman but... Bates, is it, really? Yeah. You know, he's so, not some weird psycho. No, exactly. Although, you know, then, you know, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that you're not going to have because we've all seen it. <laughs> but, you, know, you, know, you know, Norman Bates is completely sympathetic through the whole film. You know, it's the end is such, it's such a shock. But, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, there's just so much detail on it. Mm. Um, but, like, Hitch was notorious for pre-planning and storyboarding anything. And he really, he, like, helped, like, write the scripts with the camera moves in the scripts. And he actually hated the filming. That was his least favourite part, was actually shooting the movies. <laughs> as far as he's concerned, he enjoyed, you know, writing the script and doing the storyboards and prepping the camera moves and all that kind of stuff once he got to actually shoot it he'd already made the film in his head yeah and he i think he used to say that he didn't need to be there he'd rather not be there you got all the instructions you you get on with it you don't need me here just crack on with it didn't he write um with his wife quite a lot his, yeah his wife who was a big part of his, his wife yeah his wife was a big i can't remember if she like co-wrote stuff but she was like his editor and yeah and, and stuff like that and he would pass everything through her, pass everything through her, pass everything past her yeah. to, uh, you know, to see what she thought and, and all that kind of stuff. I've only, I've only seen small documentaries on Hitch himself, and I watched one the other day in prep for this. But I do remember watching the film Hitch with, um, oh, goodness, what dame is it? Fuck. It's not Emma Thompson. It's the other one. 
Okay, well, that's going to come back to me probably when we finish recording and <laughs> I'll text it to you. Yeah. Oh, Is that the one with Anthony Hopkins playing Hitch? I think so. Play Hitch? Shall I just IMDb it? I don't know why I don't just do that. I've got the app on the phone. <laughs> okay, you do that and we'll do it. Oh, you carry on. Routine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sure it was called, was it not called Hitched? I'm sure it was called Hitch. Yeah. Okay, so you say Hitch and I feel like there's a fucking Will Smith movie with that name or something. Yeah, there is a, <laughs> there is a terrible. Yeah, I think it's just that really threw me when you said it at first because I was like, oh no, Jenny's gone insane on episode one. It might be because it actually is called Hitchcock. Okay, sure. Yeah. Why not? Helen Mirren. Fuck's oh, there you go. Yeah, as yeah. his wife, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Scarlett Johansson as Janet Lee. I forgot oh. she was in it. That's how good that film was. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, see, I mean, I'm aware that he's kind of like, shall we say, a complex character. And yes. he had issues with, with certain actresses and stuff like that. I've heard and, some disturbing yeah. things he, of him in Tippi Hedren. Yeah, Tippi Hedren. Yeah, there was yeah. stuff going on there. Yeah, and he kind of and he and he did, I mean he did say the famous line, you know, you know, act as a cattle, and they were just there to you know to do a job and do what he tells them to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there, there was some funny stuff going on there, but you know that's kind of you know genius for you. you know, mm. with yeah, I I heard him say in an interview that um when he was asked if um the actors should place themselves in full control of, of the director or not. And he said something along the lines of the actors basically should. Yeah. <laughs> they should be trusting enough to like, place themselves over to the director. Yeah. And he's, do as they not, wish. He, he was ne- not an actor's director at all. No. Uh, cameramen loved him. The lighting guys loved him. The technicians, writers loved him. Actors didn't like him so much because he didn't, they were there. They were props basically. Yeah, there was, I think it was, I want to say it was North by Northwest because it was Kerry, was it Kerry Grant? Kerry Grant, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've forgotten the actress's name, but I think it was her I saw talking about him who said he had said to her to drop her chin sort of down into her chest, if you like, so she's mm. looking down, and then also drop your voice. And mm. that's how you're going to speak and act yeah. through the entire film. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Hey, actor, yeah, he, he's he's a visionary. He knows what he wants, and he knows, yeah. you know, he knows what he wants on the on the screen. He's not one to indulge actors in their job, which is, mm. you know, what job you know actors want to do. They they want to learn and get something out of it at the same time, you know. Yeah. So you always think, yeah, you ought to be working in animation or or puppets or something like that, <laughs> you know. And I don't think he would have necessarily <laughs> kind of objected to that. If he could have got away with it, he would have, yeah, if he, he could have got those results, I think he would have done that. It, you know? it does make me want to watch more than just the, like this and Psycho now that I've seen of, of his films. Because yeah. a fellow classmate of mine from my master's, his favourite his favorite film is Rebecca. Yeah. It's Hitchcock. And I've never seen that. And I, I, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I saw that for the first time a couple of years ago. One of my... As we mentioned on the on the zero episode, yeah. you know, I you know the last few years I've deliberately gone out and set to make myself watch a bunch of classics that I'd never seen, and I find that a bit of a dry one myself. I get the impression it, it probably is because I mean there are other films I I I mean I bought um, is it the man who knew too much mm. with Doris Day 
yeah. purposely for Doris Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I haven't watched it yet, but I've got it. And yeah, I've never seen the 39 Steps either. 39 Steps is brilliant. <laughs> so that's no, coming that, up that at is, some point. No, that is proper brilliant. And that's one we ought to put on because that is just, again, I'd say that is the, the other one of Hitchy's great crowd pleasers. It is a proper romp and a yeah. proper adventure and a real um a real a real pleasure to watch it's pure fun that one yeah um but i i I also like there's one called shadow of a doubt that's really really good which is about again it's it's about um a a young girl i'll say young girl she's in her early 20s i guess and you know her family they're very close family and like the, the uncle comes to visit who everybody loves and she starts to suspect that the that the uncle is a serial killer Oh, okay. Uh, and that's really, really good. That was one of those ones that kind of snuck up on me. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And it was on TV, and I thought, oh, it's Hitchcock. I'll watch that. And I just like go, why did I not know about that one? That's an absolute cracker. Um, but there's, there's there's quite a few like after Rear Window, he did. If I remember right, the writer wrote four movies for Hitch. He did. Hang on, I wrote these down. Hang on. He wrote. Uh, rear window uh, to catch a thief trouble with harry and the man who knew too much trouble with harry is really good it's another one of his little known ones yeah but that, that's another little cracker it's mostly a comedy and it's it's sort of it's really sick to be honest it's about <laughs> it's just, it's better you know people who find a dead body <laughs> okay, and just that. the whole film it, what then deciding what to do with his dead body they find on this is this, this how weekend at bernie's became a thing yeah i, I think yeah it's like <laughs> weekend at bernie's is the moron version i've not seen that <laughs> but, uh, do you know i think i've only seen clips of weekend at bernie's i don't think i've seen the whole thing yeah i think I, I think i've only seen a skit based on it by the birthday boys in a in a sketch show yeah. so <laughs> it's not one to track down let's we don't need to put that one on <laughs> you know that yeah. we could maybe do that as like a five minute episode, <laughs> episode. Well, yeah a bit shit in it yeah not it to uh not to not to be the bearer of bad news but speaking of time uh, oh, yeah, we're, we're right. coming up on having talked about this film for almost as long as the film is we actually, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. We've, we've nearly done 90 minutes on a 90 minute film <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, does anybody uh, have any sort of closing thoughts? Well, I just I, the only thing the only thing like in my notes that we haven't addressed really was like the sound and the music for oh, it. Oh, I mean, it's so, Franz Waxman, man. Hats off just, to you. Well, what's amazing is like Franz Waxman's brilliant, but he only did like the opening theme and a little bit of like the end sting, and then he he wrote the the song, the music that the the pianist is composing through the whole film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Between that, the opening credits and the end credits, there's no actual score. Well, it's no, all, it's, it's all just um, what they call diegetic music. It's music that's, yeah. on, that's, that's in that world. Say, so it's, it's, it's more stuff. like jukebox music. Yeah. So it's, it's the, people the, whatever was in the hit parade was what they were using, which I love because again, you've got another time capsule yeah. moment there. You're hearing what was hot in the charts at the time that's the film it, yeah. and was being made. A lot of little movie yeah. soundtracks and stuff. That's yeah. But what I found really interesting about it is it's a thriller with no score. Yes. So during all the tense moments, you look back and go, oh, all those bits where I was like, you know, really tense. There was yeah. no shrieking violins or mm. thumping you know, bass or anything like that. It was usually some really jolly tunes yeah. playing 
that's that's a moray or something going on in the yeah yeah or the pianist the... practicing one of his yeah. lovely pieces yeah yeah i was gonna say like i couldn't when they were having their fight at the end i couldn't remember any underscore at all i yeah. just remember being completely absorbed by that motion that fight and everything that was going on in that moment before he got thrown out the window yeah mm. and it all just adds to the kind of the verisimilitude of it the reality of the whole situation that there's you know you got the and like the the, the waxman score is really interesting as well because it kind of sets the tone and it's not scary music it's really kind of upbeat jazz yeah funky yeah. jazz and like it goes out with a nice twiddly d little bird song thing at the end to go <laughs> yeah hope you had a nice time now lights <laughs> which weirdly makes complete sense for the, for yeah. the time it was made because and it's like a real kind of feel good though it's about a murder it's a very feel good kind of thing like you yeah. say there's no you know blood in it and anyway although you know somewhere to make sure you kind of picture the murder very clearly in your head. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's but it's so cleverly done it's almost like the anti-psycho where psycho mm. if you try and imagine psycho without the the bernard herman score yeah. If it, you know you oh. it's really soulless. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean the thing with the with like tangent, but the thing with a psycho score is little kids know the re re re, yeah, and they don't know where it's come from, but they know yeah. that <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Focus, yeah, but... so I think I think that's that's me done all my notes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Stace? Well, I mean the only the only sort of closing thing I wanted to sort of say was that I'm very glad I watched this. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit annoyed at myself for never having seen it in my previous 36 <laughs> and a bit years um, because it's brilliant. It's very much going to be a favourite, I think. And it's definitely going to spur me on to check out more Hitchcock stuff because, like I say, I've only ever seen Psycho. And um, mm. North by Northwest was one of the films that was on Richie's list of 50 films he gave me to watch before I was 30 that I did not watch. <laughs> um, <laughs> I watched a lot of them. I watched a lot of them. When you do watch North by Northwest, bear in mind, I think that's basically James Bond. It's like the prototype of James Bond. Um, Ah, You watch it and you go, this is is a Bond movie without James Bond, really. It's it's, it's like an amateur Bond rather than being a secret. But anyway, that's that's my Uh, mind. That's probably going to be like a future episode because I haven't (laughs) seen North by Northwest either. Okay. And it's it's, (laughs) on the list. It's on the list. I've, I've scribbled it down. Have you have you either of you seen Vertigo? No. No. Oh my god. <laughs> we could have to have a separate a separate podcast of Oh, you're gonna have to have a Hitch- Hitchcock, Hitchcock season. Yeah, we'll have to have a Hitchcock season. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what will happen. Have you seen the I... birds? Yes. No. I hate it, it's terrifying. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I'm never gonna watch it again. Oh, I'm so scared of birds. <laughs> <laughs> And I think even even my parents still scared of that. I would say they they don't like the birds at all, Um, and they would have seen it first time round. I would say I'm a lot again. I'm a lot like Stace with this one. I'm I'm pleased I got to see it. I'm pleased I enjoyed it. I would have hated to have had to watch and think, ah. It would have been the same if the podcast died on its ass with episode one, which is what would have happened. Like, had yeah. we had a big argument about it, it. Been... this is a terrible idea this isn't going to work <laughs> I've never seen it I wish I never had seen it no I, I, really, <laughs> I really enjoyed it and it will be one that I will return to and because it was the yeah, me too. like refreshed remastered version as well it was so mm. clean and pristine
hey guys. Hey. That was Rear Window, 1954, Alfred Hitchcock. What a film. Good choice, Lee. Well, I'm glad. What a relief. (laughs) Friendships intact. However, Chase, tell us what we're going to be watching for our next episode, where friendships may be tested. (laughs) Well, yes, friendships may definitely be tested. Um, Anybody who has even heard my voice on the internet uh, at all, before in the past will know that I'm a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. She says sitting directly in front of seven different iterations of Ninja Turtles figures. Um, I love the Ninja Turtles and I like pretty much everything that came out that involves them. Um, And when I discovered that Lee and Jenny have not seen in its entirety the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I practically fell out of my chair. Um, (laughs) That is a full-on shocker to me. And so I'm very excited to say that if you want to watch along with us, uh, well, not with us because we won't be watching it as we record, but you you see what I'm saying. Um, Yeah, episode two will be the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Bit of a different... Bit of a yeah, swing a away from the Hitchcock there. there. Just, just go in a full 180. <laughs> and this I is think... where I'm going to, I'm going to be sweating now. <laughs> feel my wrath if you hate it. I, I feel what I most remember for the time of this film's release. Mm-hmm. Something that goes a bit like this: T U R T L E power. <laughs> That's what I remember. Oh, you're, you're making me cringe already. I don't want, I don't want to pre-cringe. <laughs> I don't want to pre-cringe. <laughs> I'm so scared that our so, friendship is going to yeah. disintegrate. No, it's fine. If you dislike it, it's fine. I mean, well, it's not fine, but it's, I'll forgive you maybe, perhaps, but it's, it's really good. after a while. It's really good for a podcast episode, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think, if nothing else, we'll all have fun. So That's what I mean. It'll look be a forward fun to episode. That. Yes. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> so, my friend, uh, if people wish to find you on the webs, where can they find you? Stace? Uh, I am mostly twatting about on Twitter uh, at Stacey's Parlor, uh, where I have lots of opinions on films and Met Gala outfits and um, food, usually. Um, and you can also, uh, am I allowed to pimp my other podcast? <laughs> yeah, you are. This, this, is your, this is your pimping point of pleasure, however oh, you want to take that. That, Excellent. that is just... So strong. close, So... <laughs> Explosive for the microphones. Um, yeah, if you want to hear me waffling with other people about movies and TV and comics and books and music and all sorts of other things, uh, you can have a listen to Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour, which you can find at popcultureparlour.podbean.com or in your usual podcatchy type places. Excellente. Lee, how about you, my man? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at lovelylee underscore g um and that's it i'm occasionally guesting on stacy's pop culture parlor when she gets stuck basically <laughs> uh, no, no, that makes it sound like i'm just like oh i guess i'll ask Lee again. <laughs> well because when lee can't do it i do so <laughs> i do have more friends than these two people <laughs> internet don't believe a word you say it's so, true so that's you me. should that's yeah so that, that's where you can find me excellent <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at AngelJ5. Um, and like we just said, sometimes I might guest on Stacey's podcast. <laughs> We've done a, done a few, but also you should see, you know, Stacey's actual 
uh, podcast guest list because there are some absolute corkers on there. Kelly Sue DeConnick. Um, so, <laughs> well, there we are. Episode one. I hope you've all. In- well, I know. I think we've enjoyed ourselves. So. <laughs> I hope you've all enjoyed yourselves listening to us and we'll return in a month's time for episode two for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I honestly can't wait. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear bye me. Bye-bye then. Take Cheers care. Cheers, everyone. Laters and bye. I don't know why I saluted again. I should stop doing that. <laughs> I always wave. <laughs>